You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. Uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Bunch of this did it again! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? We got a lot going on, Shane, so let's just mm-hmm. jump right into it. But before we go around the leak, Shane, we found some funny clips. You know, we always like to open with something something kind of funny if we can. Yeah. And we got some good ones here, Shane, and these are not necessarily SEC-related, but oh, Mike Gundy, he's, his name's always in the SEC <laughs> rumor mill, it sounds like. So let's start right there, Shane. Let's start with uh, the Oklahoma State coach. And uh, I don't know much of the backstory here, Shane, but I do believe that uh, obviously the super booster there for Oklahoma State, T. Boone Pickens, mm-hmm. he passed away recently. So sorry to share that news if you had not heard it yet. But uh, there was a rumor going around that he left Gundy a gift card to go get his <laughs> haircut <laughs> upon his death. And that's what Mike Gundy was asked about here. So if you don't know the backstory, that'll kind of help. But uh, this clip is amazing. Coach, I know you, know, you were joking around uh, Saturday night. I was there about what you think of social media. But was there any truth to those reports that uh, Boone Pickens kind of was joking around and left you a gift card for a haircut? I'm joking with you, that's all. Don't hurt the real journalism world. It's jackasses like you that cause problems, okay? They shouldn't even let you call in. Do you want to talk football? We'll talk football. If you want to be um, out there and talk idiotic social media, then you need to go do something with a college kid. Okay, thank you. You bet. All right, Shane. So Mike (laughs) Gundy's got no respect for these types of questions. I thought it was pretty funny, but, uh, I mean, I kind of understand why. Maybe he's being such a hard ass, but at the same time, I just thought this was great. (laughs) I'm a man. I'm 50, you know. <laughs> He's uh, what was that? That was they said that happened what 13 years ago, something I think like that. 12 years ago, Sunday, and this call I think was on Monday, so it was almost to the day of his famous rant, which is pretty weird. It's it's been over a decade, and he's not calmed down one damn bit. Kudos to Gundy for sticking around that long. I mean, think about it, coaches don't last more than 10 years, man. Yeah, that's a good point, Shane. Maybe, uh, maybe he ought to ease up though if he's going to be around for another <laughs> yeah. decade. Yeah, old Boone ain't around to save his job anymore. 
And one last uh, note here, Shane. Again, this is not necessarily SEC related, although Northwestern's kind of purple Vandy, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. An old Northwestern coach here, Shane, he was asked to – I guess he was – someone's being critical of his play calling, and uh, he let everybody know where you can address those complaints. We need to execute, and we need to get our players to, to play cleaner. Does that mean that you're, you're satisfied with the, with the offensive game plan the way it is, and you guys need to, to execute that game plan better? Well, we just take 90 hours and play Wii and golf all week. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I go in every game plan expecting it to work, to be quite honest with you. I, I understand there's 40,000 experts on Twitter that can call plays for me, so my email address is hashtag I don't care. Okay, so shoot that out. We got to be better. All right, this guy's a football guy, Shane. He does not know how Twitter, email, none of that works clearly by his response here. I just thought this was pretty great. Dude, this is the thing, man. There were some fired-up coaches this week and uh, honestly some very depressing coaches. Even, I mean, even Nick Saban undefeated was depressing. So if you're listening to this early in the morning, I hope you've had your coffee because you got a show coming to you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Shane, you teased it there, but before we go around the league, I wanted to make this quick note for anybody that missed it on Monday. The SEC announced the Week 6 kickoff and TV schedules. Obviously, we're still in Week 5, but they like to do these two weeks out, essentially. Two weekends Mm -hmm. out, I I should say. Uh, So let's just run down this real quick. And much like uh, the Week 5 slate, we got a couple teams on by, so there's not a ton of games here. But let's just go in order of the kickoffs, and we'll start with Utah State at LSU. That's going to be the only noon game for Week 6, and that's going to be on mm-hmm. SEC Network. Uh, then we got the CBS game, Shane. So this is the big game, Auburn at Florida, 3.30 Eastern on CBS. That'll be a hell of a game. Oh, yeah. Troy at Missouri. That's going to be a 4 o'clock Eastern on SEC Network. And then Mm. we got two SEC night games here. Georgia at Tennessee, Shane, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. That's that's an interesting choice, but there's just not much to pick from this week. And then last game on the docket, Vanderbilt at Ole Miss, 7.30 Mm. Eastern time on SEC Network. So, Shane, any thoughts there? LSU getting a noon kick? That's pretty weird. They usually kick off at night. Yeah. Auburn, Florida, CBS, and then, of course, Georgia, Tennessee, the night game. What, What are your thoughts on that slate? I, th- I think, honestly, last year, LSU, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a noon game, but this year's LSU, I thought they may want to move it up later in the day just because it is an exciting offense to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Joe, you know, so the Heisman train, I don't know if they got a they got any, like, fancy words they're using down there to make it sound like a Heisman. You know, like Heisman had his thing. <laughs> they got anything going for Joe. I don't think so. I think LSU's at the point where they don't need it. Everybody just knows that Joe Burrow's in it with all these passing figures he keeps putting up. Yeah, we're still going to have to come up with something. But Troy, I think Troy's had more SEC games than any of the SEC teams by this point, right? (laughs) (laughs) It feels like they're on every Saturday, man. I've seen enough for Troy. so. But I am excited about that. That 330 uh, Florida-Auburn game, man, that's going to be dynamite. Yeah, there's an outstanding chance. Certainly Florida's playing uh, 
Towson, so they're going to be undefeated. And then if Auburn survives at home this week against Mississippi State, they will also be undefeated. So uh, but that's a that's an if there, but that that could be a really great game. You know, it's just because I've seen all these articles talking about just how dominant the West is. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this game, uh, I was hoping that the Mississippi State-Kentucky game would give us a little better feel, but I, I just I don't think they were in it. I don't think Kentucky was in that game. But Florida, Auburn, if they're undefeated at this at this game, I, we're going to find out just how far apart the East and West are. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So we got a lot of action to get into. We got a couple SEC games. So you ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the league. We haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our play. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other or every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice, so you just uh, you get used to it. It's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's gonna be a street fight. This game's gonna be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully, you do. Um, and you go back to it, man. This isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, I man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat, launch bail. Let's get to work. All right, Shane. Let's start here with the game that I think is kind of the most intriguing on the Week Five slate, and that's of course Mississippi State traveling to Auburn. War damn eagle. Gus Malzahn met with the media here on Tuesday. And remember, Shane, if you recall last season, this is a game where Mississippi State, you know, they started out slow in SEC, lost to Kentucky, lost that really rough game to Florida and Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were ready to write them off, but I thought the best win that they had last year was against Auburn. And this was a game where I'm trying to think back how it played out. But basically, all I remember was uh, Nick Fitzgerald. It seemed like he ran the ball 45 times for about 200 <laughs> yards. I mean, that was basically their offense, and they couldn't stop it. And uh, the, the defense there from Mississippi State shut them down, and it was a big win. That was probably Joe Moorhead's best win at Mississippi State, unless you want to count uh, their dominant Egg Bowl performance. I know that obviously that game carries a lot of weight, but – uh, that's something I think is going to be uh, sitting on Auburn's mind all week. And that's something that Gus Malzahn hit on here, Shane, on being embarrassed by Mississippi State. And I also wanted to add a couple more notes here talking about how they get Bo Nix prepared for the SEC play. Everybody's been uh, obviously impressed with Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. And finally, Gus Malzahn got a little pissed off when he was asked about his team buying into the hype. Now that they've started off four and zero, yeah, all right. you know the great thing about us is we got most of our guys back, so you really you really don't have to say anything. They they know exactly what happened. We left that thing and they embarrassed us. I mean, as a team now, it, it was the whole deal. We only rushed for ninety yards. You know, we pride ourselves, um, you know, on that winning up front. So you just got to do it. I mean, they're 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 a good team, and uh, I don't have to say much. I mean, our guys know. Uh, it's a new year. It's a completely new year. But at the same time, when you have experiences, whether you're a player or a coach, you remember them. And uh, we got to respond. Yeah, you got, you got to be a little more patient because uh, you got to understand they're still learning. 
um, you got to kind of put yourself in their shoes a little bit that, man, if you just – they got to be confident. There's that fine line between, um, you know, making sure that, um, you know, they're ready when to get on them, when not. But more than anything, I think, for a true freshman is who's ever the play caller or the coordinator, you got to have great relationships. And they need to make sure that you know you're with them right? and that you got their back. I think that's the number one thing. For a young quarterback, just to know that, you know, we're, we're with you. And, uh, yes, you're going to make some mistakes. So what? Don't make the same mistake twice. Uh, we believe in you. And uh, that's really, you know, what we've tried to do so far. Yeah, hey, we're, we're pretty isolated. Uh, I told them we're not worried about any kind of talk like that until you get to the end of November. Because that's all that matters. Right now, it don't make it don't make any difference. You look every year, you get teams that are hot early, and then they fizzle out. It makes zero. All it all that matters is Mississippi State. So we'll let it take care of itself. We could care less about what people's opinions are. We could care less about Final Four. We care about Mississippi State. And it really, it's as simple as that. And if you let crap like that distract you, then it hurts you. So I don't think we'll have any problem with that. All right, Shane, so I really wanted to include this clip about Mississippi State and on the team getting ahead of itself Mm -hmm. because we've kind of seen that from Auburn. Remember, obviously, the big wing against Oregon, and then the next weekend we were both kind of – we both cautioned fans to not expect too much, and I think Auburn kind of came down to earth a little bit. So we've kind of seen them kind of, you know, ride the wave of – Momentum, I guess if you want to call it. Uh, but Gus Malzahn is right here. If they, I mean, Mississippi State is not a team that you can sleep on. You sleep on them. Kylan Hill and all, and all, and their crew. Um, <laughs> I mean, they'll punch you right in the mouth. They'll beat you. Absolutely. And I think honestly, it's night and day from week one. I think they came out. They were excited about that win against Oregon. They were, you know, I I think he even mentioned championships a couple of times in his conferences, and now. You know, they like you said, they kind of came back down to earth and realized that, hey, this is a schedule that you're going to have to play week to week. If you I mean, the end product will be there if you keep competitive and you play week to week. I think that's important, especially with this ball club, with a young quarterback like Bo Nix. Just focus on one team at a time. And when you get to the end of the season, it'll be there if it's deserved. Mm-hmm. Now, let's flip over to the other side, Shane. Let's jump on down to Starkville. Where Joe Moorhead met with the media here on Monday. And, uh, you know, the big story down there, Tommy Stevens, Garrett Schrader. What's the status of Tommy Stevens? Garrett Schrader's coming off his best ever college performance. Obviously, you know, we've not seen a ton of him. But the the improvements he made from Kansas State game to last week against Kentucky was monumental. Uh, so let's start with that. Let's just go to Joe, Joe Moorhead on that and on uh, if Schrader's performance kind of allows them to rest Tommy Stevens if he needs it. Coach, with Tommy and his situation, obviously you're watching him closely this week, but is there a certain point during the week where you, where you make that call, like you said last week, and, and is it would it be Schrader again if Tommy's not able to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish – I'm not trying to – be evasive with, with, with the answers, but it, it is a fluid situation. And, and I know I mentioned last week on Monday at that point he was better than he was a week before. But what I didn't clarify was it, it was a different mechanism. You know, I mean, it was still an upper body injury, but it was something a little bit different than he had the week before. And as the week went on, he just, you know, he, he wasn't able to go with it. So, 
you know, we're, we're anticipating them, you know, coming back to practice on Tuesday. And, you know, we just have to see, you know, where it goes. But, uh, yeah, if, if, if Tommy's not able to go, then, uh, then Garrett will be the starter. I think Joel sort of asked this question post game, but with how well Garrett has played when he's come in, how much does that change how you treat Tommy's shoulder, especially given the bye weeks coming up after this game? You could probably give him a little extra time to recover. That's a good question. Uh, it was a good question by you too, Joel, before. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's all uh, contingent upon you know where Tommy's at and how healthy he is, and uh, you know what we need the quarterback position to do to, to, to win this game and be one and zero this week. So, as always, we want to do what's best for the the team first, but also be mindful of the individual as well. And uh, you know we'll do that in this case. All right, Shane. So I think this is uh, particularly interesting this week. I know you're on record saying that Trader they should basically turn it over to him. Mm-hmm. And I think Stevens, if he's good to go, you got to play him. If you want to ask how to read Joe Moorhead, I have no clue because he's kind of been all over the place with these decisions under center. And so I have no idea what they're going to do. But uh, it certainly sounds like he's he doesn't want Auburn to know what they're doing either. Yeah. What time is this game? Just curious. This game, Shane, is uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time, 6 o'clock Central okay. on ESPN. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's I don't get me wrong. I like the bearded trader. I think that he's the future. I think we keep him in there. He looked great last week. Let's just build off of that. But there's a big difference between a hungover Kentucky and a, an Auburn team that's you know on a mission. So and now you're at seven o'clock. This is prime time. So this is when I think the freshman comes out. And that's what concerns me with with Schrader. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm kind of with you. Tommy's been in some big games. Don't forget, you know, he was at Penn State and he played a lot up there. Maybe it wasn't at quarterback, but he was. Oh, ho, ho, now it's a party, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? So he's been he's been in big games, big moments. I think you would want to run out, run at, run with Tommy. But seeing what you saw from Schrader this week. There's no need to rush him in it. And you could kind of tell it that was uh, Joe's thought process. He was almost surprised by that question. Like, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do, you know. So I think they're going to test him, you know, sometime Wednesday, Thursday, see how he's feeling. And if he's not 100%, he's not playing, man. They're going to roll with the bearded trader. Yeah, and imagine – I'm not saying anyone's down on Mississippi State. You know, they're undefeated in league play. We've got to remember that. Yes, they lost to Kansas State. That was not particularly a good loss, it looked like at the time. Kansas State's now ranked, so that looks a little bit better. But I don't think there's anyone out there saying, you know, uh, Mississippi State can win the West right now. But that's with the assumption that no one knows what this Garrett Schrader can do. And I'm not not saying he's going to come out and win him the West this year. But if he is that next breakout candidate under center, I think that – I mean, who knows? Mississippi State becomes even more of a wild card. You know, if he, yeah, like I said, he when he went from Kansas State performance, I didn't think he was that good, to last week against Kentucky. I mean, it was night and day. And imagine if he takes that same step this week against an even better defense. Mm-hmm. That may be the difference between Mississippi State uh, coming away with a road win 
against a top 10 team. So that's something that Joe Moorhead's got to be weighing all week. It was going to be very interesting to see. Uh, but that's not all the uh, Moorhead comments we have here. Shannon Wilson wanted to include these because he was asked about uh, facing Bo Nix, who obviously he's only got four games of film on in this Auburn offense, kind of what they like to do. And then on Mississippi State's success last year against this Auburn defense and what, if anything, that helps for the coming matchup. Coach, you mentioned having recruited Bo a little bit, but uh, obviously what, what is the challenge? Bo. Bo next yeah. What is the challenge of facing a, a freshman quarterback when you, know, you only really have four weeks worth of tape on him? I guess how much does that change things? Yeah, four, four weeks is a, is a good amount, but I, I think, uh, you know, like I said, having, having recruited both and kind of tracked his high school career and seeing what he's done so far, I think he and Garrett kind of both have some of that it factor. We're a little bit mature but beyond their years. And obviously, you know, Bo being coached by his dad in high school and his dad was a great quarterback at Auburn kind of has some of that, that savvy that you don't see in a lot of true freshmen. So I think part of it, obviously, is his talent and ability to beat you with his arm and his legs. But some of that experience beyond his years is the other thing. Very, very, very competitive. And, you know, you watch the end of that Oregon game. I mean, he was, he was cool as the other side of the pillow. I mean, he was, I mean, he was just kind of unflappable. Coach, uh, you mentioned Bo Nix being a different player for them. What are they doing maybe different offensively with a new quarterback than maybe they didn't do a year ago? I think relying a little bit more on I, – I, mean, I think the, you know, kind of the foundation of the scheme is the same. You know, they're going to you know, formation you, motion you, you know, have some plays where they sugar huddle and run a play, and a lot of those are trick plays, or you know, they get to the, to the line really fast and try to create eye violations with, with max pros and shots down the field. But I think uh, the thing where you know, Bo is a little bit different than the Stidham kid is – I think Bo's a little bit, you know, a little more of a threat with his legs. I mean, Stidham could do it, but he was more of a traditional pocket-style passer, which is you know, why he's playing in the NFL now. But I think Bo poses more of a threat with his feet. So you're seeing a little bit more of that in the run game. Last season, this game was possibly your most successful from a running standpoint. You rushed for nearly 400 yards against Auburn. What did you see last year from them defensively that made that possible? And, and do you see some of those similar traits this season? I'm just as nervous going to this one as I was last one. But, uh, you know, I just see a big, strong, physical, athletic front seven. You've got to find, find ways to, to, to run the ball on them successfully. And, you know, we were very fortunate to be able to do that uh, between Nick, who I think was close to two, 200. I think he had 195. And then Aries and Colin both combined for kind of in the 150 range. So uh, we, were, we were just fortunate to be able to, you know, do, th do some things to keep them off balance and maybe, you know, a little bit more misdirection than we have normally done. But, yeah, you're, you're not going to just line up and, and, you know, run the ball downhill with these guys. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So we're, you know, we're going to have to find, you know, creative ways to create, create uh, you know, create space and angles. All right, Shane. So I thought it was pretty uh, interesting. Moorhead asked about Bo Nix, and he quickly said, essentially, it's the same deal with them for Garrett Schrader. So that tells me he's got a ton of confidence in this kid. And mm -hmm. uh, also Joe Moore had talked about how nervous he is going into this matchup as, as he was last year. <laughs> so I think that's just kind of the grind of the SEC. He's fully aware of it now that you can have success one year, but the next year it's going to be just as hard, if not harder. Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested to see – Obviously, he saw something in this Kevin Steele defense. That was It was a good unit last year. Let's not say it was a, a bad unit, but he figured something out. And if he's got that edge again, 
I don't know. I think this could be... That's kind of why I wanted to start with this game. I think this could be one of the best games of the weekend here. It might be a little bit under the radar in the SEC. I mean, is Hill still the leading rusher in the SEC? He is. Yeah, I mean, here here you got the, the king of the SEC right now going against, honestly, the best front that you're going to see in college football. So it is going to be a, a battle of Goliaths here. So how, how does... But I, I just don't think... I think coach is, is smart enough not to just run right at him. So, I mean, they're going to have to do something in the air, and that's why I'm leaning a little more toward Tommy. Not Again, not that Schrader can't do it, but I just – if Schrader does come out, I hope, man, they just start spreading the, the ball all around him because Auburn's going to think that they're going to do the same thing that Nick did last year on him. Right. No, that's a good point, Shane. It's something I hadn't thought of. All right, Shane, let's jump to the SEC East – where this game is not going to make much waves nationally, but it's certainly a crossroads game for each of these programs, I think. And let's start with the, I don't know if the seat, how hot it is, but the perception is it's boiling hot, Shane. Let's go to Columbia. We're all Will Muschamp met with the media here on Tuesday. And uh, we got to start by saying this, Shane, this was, uh, I don't want to say a stunner, but... This was very surprising to me. Uh, defensive back Jamias Williams, he's going to become the latest guy that's uh, essentially taken the Kelly Bryant route where he's announced he's going to sit out the rest of the season. He's going to take a red shirt, and he's going to try his luck elsewhere. This was, uh, from what I recall, one of the biggest recruiting wins Muschamp had early in his South Carolina uh, tenure. He beat out Georgia mm-hmm. for this kid, reached into the state of Georgia to beat Kirby Smart, for one of the nation's top defensive backs. And due to a combination of things, including injuries, it just never worked out for Jemias. And when you're a disappointing one and three and you're sitting there and, I don't know, you got guys kind of already taking this route, it's not a good look here for Will Muschamp. Will, uh, with uh, Jam deciding to leave, how does the secondary reshuffle? I mean, it's a man down, but how do you guys uh, handle that loss? No different than we had before. We'll be fine. Was his decision to leave a surprise to you? No, he just wants another opportunity. Uh, one of better, other, not other situation. So we support him 100%. Love coaching Jam, but we're moving forward. All right, Shane. So I don't know what, kind of like I said there, I mean, how is this a terrible look for Muschamp, or what's your thoughts on it? I think it's perception, man. You know, South Carolina can't afford transfer portals right now. You know, right. even if the even if the kid's not – uh, going to be uh, a competitor on the team. It's just a bad look, and media likes to make little things like this into a big story. Um, when they they you know people click on articles that say why Muschamp should get fired. So right. the media comes out and they're just making all this these bullshit articles to get ever. It's clickbait. That's all this is. And so now we got somebody hitting the portal. There's going to be 10 more articles written on why this is not a good fit or a good look for Muschamp. They've got people out there, boosters out there, getting a committee together to look. I mean, because it sells articles. That's all this is. You know, and the one thing that fixes what South Carolina is, is dealing with right now and they're fully capable of is winning, man. They've got two weeks to prepare for Kentucky. Dude, there's no bye week. You have got to just focus on Kentucky. So two weeks, 
just one team and uh, a team you haven't beaten a long time. So you come out and you do that, then the media starts shutting up. I heard uh, Fulmer may replace Will Muschamp. You hear that, Shane? Oh, God, it wouldn't surprise me. That probably came from <laughs> Knoxville News Sentinel, man. They just can't wait to bury that our university. Well, speaking, uh, sticking with South Carolina, Shane, also Bill Muschamp. I mean, if nothing else, he's a he's turned into a damn quote machine for us. Uh, I really want him to stick around for nothing other than that. <laughs> uh, but uh, he was asked a number of things here, some some very pointed questions. I thought here on a Tuesday, considering they're only a you know a month into the season here, he's facing some tough questions, including uh, has he just considered changing play callers on the offensive side? Uh, on why the defensive backs continue to struggle. And finally, this is the best one, on whether this Kentucky game is a must-win for the Gamecocks. Is changing play callers something you've ever considered on, on offense? No. Is it something you would consider during a season, or are you a believer in – you, do you ever think there's value in change for change's sake and something like that to shake things up? No, I mean, I, we're going to make decisions what's best for our football team. When your background as the head coach is in a specific position area, do you find your eye naturally going there more? Do you deal with that group more than you deal with other groups? How does that work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I coach on defense. and we, I meet with the defense and, and game plan. And, and obviously, as far as planning to win the game, we meet as a staff and we talk about the things we need to do in order to win the game, as well, whether it's in all three phases of offense, defense, and special teams. But uh, certainly I spend more time with the defense. It, the defensive back specifically. Sure. So when when they're struggling, is that more frustrating for you because that is your your area and that's where your background is? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, are you trying to punish me or what? No, I'm just wondering how it works. Do you get yeah, it it more involved? Me off. Right. Do you do you find yourself getting more involved in that scenario, or do you? I'm always to... involved, so it's it's not a situation where all of a sudden you want to start getting involved. I've been involved the whole time, and I take a lot of the burden on myself. Well, with the one and three start and five straight losses to Kentucky, how much pressure is on this coaching staff right now to win this game Saturday? We have pressure every single week. Every single week, there's a lot of pressure. And you know what? There's more pressure internally than there is externally. I can assure you of that. Do you consider this a must-win game Saturday? They're all to get... must-win games. Every single game. You know what next week's going to be? Well, where we're open. The next week's going to be must-win. And we're, we need to kick open's ass, too. Ain't you heard, Shane? They're all must-win games, damn it. <laughs> uh, right when he asked the question, I knew the answer to that one. I was like, here it comes. <laughs> Everyone's a must-win. There's there's no acceptable loss. You know what I'm saying? You don't think like that. This is a competitive sport. Everybody, there's a winner and there's a loser, and there's no there's no good losers. It's just losers, you know? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, you, get, you see some of the passion, I guess you want to – want to say from Muschamp and just you know he's aggravated from having to answer these questions but yeah he's a he's being professional and he knows he knows they're coming basically I think uh, just based on the fact because you know these coaches talk about you know being in the bunker I'm sure they're not on Twitter reading I, I hope to God they're not but uh, I'm sure they hear it uh, yeah. around town and all the radio or what have you they know people are upset and this is kind of comes with the territory in the SEC if you don't get it done. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I I still, I know, remember I was the guy saying South Carolina could win 10 games this year. So yeah. this, is, this is clearly a surprise to me that they're 1-3 yeah. 
definitely shouldn't be one and three, but I'm not ready to say to, let's just pull the plug and fire everybody. And no, uh, I mean that South Carolina or excuse me the Missouri game, Shane. We keep talking about it. If not for you know the Helinski double pass play, there's there's you seven points. Uh, the pick six, if that goes the other way, I mean South Carolina, that's a touchdown for them minus a touchdown for Missouri. I mean you're right in this game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I I don't know. It's not like you're out here getting Jeremy Pruitt at 31, 34 to three, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, I understand why people are, are pissed off. They want to, to see W's. They want to see results, but I don't know. I'm just not ready to say this is, uh, you know, this, this team's going nowhere. And I'm telling you, Muschamp kind of did this to himself, you know, being all giddy in the off season with the media gets them in the bubble. They're not afraid to ask those tough questions. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you go down there and, uh, Tuscaloosa, there ain't nobody asking Nick that question. You know what I'm saying? Because they're afraid they're going to get their head bit off. So this fiery Muschamp should, probably should have stayed fiery all summer long. But, you know, he, he kind of did this thing to himself. All right, Shane. So let's flip over to the other side of this one. Let's jump to Lexington. Where this is arguably just as big a game here for Mark Stoops, not for his coaching tenure, obviously. He's safe as you can be at Kentucky. But for this team, I mean, this is something that I hit on heading into this Florida game, Shane. I remember I said if they lose to Florida, Mississippi State, that's not going to be easy. They obviously dropped that one. This South Carolina, if they still got any respect for their head coach, they're going to give everything they have for him because they know how important it is to him and potentially his job there. Uh, if they drop his South Carolina game, Shane, yes, they play they play Arkansas in two weeks after a bye, but then they play Georgia and Missouri. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're look we're looking at a downward. Imagine if they somehow find a way to lose to Arkansas. <sighs> Certainly, I don't expect that. But I mean, if you're losing three in a row, it, dropping the fourth and looking ahead to the next two, uh, this game is huge for Kentucky. If we already we've already seen it, they kind of. I don't want to say they gave up in that last game, but I think it, the fact that it started with the pick six, that was just so deflating. Uh, they yeah. really they really need to bounce back here against the Gamecocks. Yeah, they're in uncharted waters, man. They It could go either way. This is something you said going into the Florida game that you could easily see this team go on a, on a downward spiral, and that's kind of what they're doing. But like you said, they've, they've got time. They've got to regroup. Is this game at home? This one's in Columbia, South Carolina. Shit. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, your back's against the wall, boys. I mean, but that's where, I mean, it, this team, if, if they've got leadership, which, you know, even though I'm not a fan of Cash right now, he is a leader of that team. If they could get some leadership going and get these boys rebound and just focus, you know, forget the big picture now. All right? So, Let's focus one game at a time, just like South Carolina. This is a, this is a piv- this is a pivotal game, man. Well, speaking of Mark Stoops and this Kentucky squad, Shane, let's jump on over to what Mark Stoops had to say this week leading up to this game. And uh, you know, he was he got a little heated himself here. It was kind of the similar to Muschamp. Once again, he's not feeling the heat. But I don't think he appreciates these questions on the fact that, uh, you know, will his fan base still be with him now that they've suffered these two defeats? And a little comical here, uh, talking about uh, the fact that Kentucky threw the ball 42 times in their last game, and, and of course they got blown out. 
game invested, where are they going to go? I mean, what, I mean, come on. We won a lot of football games around here. I thought we were over that. I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed. We, we accept the criticism, and uh, we're all in this together. And uh, it's not okay with us either. You know, we, we uh, as a program and an organization, need to get, you know, find ways, find answers, and that's what we do. Go back to work. That's a good football team on the road and, uh, and uh, with a young team that didn't play our best. But uh, I, I, that kind of talk seems a little crazy to me. Um, you know, I'd like people, no offense to everybody in this industry here today, but uh, people, <laughs> people like to panic. Uh, we, we don't necessarily panic in our building. We just go back to work and, and continue to get better. You threw it 41 times, I think, and that's 42. Probably the most since you've been here. Was yeah, that? Yeah. did it get us? Was that? Everybody wants to see the ball thrown 42 times. Well, you did. <laughs> Hope you're happy. <laughs> All right, Shane, so if you didn't hear it quite clear there, Stoops talking about the fact they threw it 42 times against Mississippi <laughs> State, and we saw we all saw what happened there. I mean, that's just not Kentucky-style play, whether the fans uh -uh. want that to be or not. Uh, thoughts on uh, what Stoops had to say? And, oh, I, also, I should note this. We, didn't, we don't have this clip, Shane, but I just thought it was funny. I shared this online, and South Carolina fans got pretty pissed off at me, but – uh, Stoops noted that South Carolina, the best one and three team in the nation. <laughs> Somebody's a fan of the podcast, Mike. <laughs> you know, because I've been saying it, but I don't know, man. Is there any other one and three teams that you'd give a, a running right now? How about your Vols, Shane? Yeah, no, <laughs> they're better. <laughs> they're they got a quarterback at least, so. Uh, he's a little banged up. I'd, I'd take a banged up freshman Holinsky than I would a junior Garantano or Tano, <laughs> however he goes by his name anymore. Yeah, Kentucky's got to get back to Kentucky ball, man. And it is not throwing. It's running the ball. they got to get uh, Cavassier going. They've got to get Rose going. they got to take pressure off that quarterback. He is going to be good when the run game is good. If you you know, I I, I get it. Forty something attempts. I don't think that was planned. That just that was kind of a, a result to where they were. Right. But you know, they should not be. There should this quarterback should not. Smith shouldn't be throwing forty times, twenty times max. You know. You just made me realize something though, Shane. Because I agree with everything you just said, but the fact that South Carolina has been having so many issues. Defending the pass. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. And Kentucky's got a banged up quarterback. Sawyer Smith looks, I mean, he got banged up in that Kentucky game, had to leave this Mississippi State game. Uh, he did return to the game, so it's not like he's out or anything, but it's it's just, I mean, you got to lean on your strength, I suppose, especially yeah. on the road. But I don't know if that's, that's wise going to this South Carolina game. So this one could be trouble for Kentucky, although on the other end, if something is, goes wrong for South Carolina early, I mean, they could cave too, you know what? Yeah, let me ask you, on the South Carolina side, I saw Shock pull up a few times. Is he okay? Have you heard anything about him health-wise? Uh, as far as they have not yet ruled him out, I know, like you said, he got he was pr pretty limited last week. So, uh, But as far as I've heard, he's, he's good to go. Him and Edwards against his secondary buddy? I'm telling you what. All right, Shane, so let's jump back to the SEC West because we got a couple matchups there. Uh, but let's start here with 
Alabama. Roll Tide! Uh, where Nick Saban met with the media here recently. They're hosting Ole Miss. And, yes, I know Ole Miss has dropped two games here, Shane, but, hell, they're still undefeated in conference play, too. So, uh, you know, you can't rule out anything here. I know, obviously, I don't know if you've seen this, Shane, but I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw it on Twitter, so you never know. But Alabama, 35.5-point favorites here over Ole mm. Miss. And apparently Ole Miss has never been an underdog of this large in an SEC game. So, mm. That's that would be pretty interesting if true, but I kind of see where they're getting that from, Shane, because just these receivers against Ole Miss's defensive backs, where the defensive backs look pretty solid, but hell, Shane Cal, I mean, was was just ripping the secondary apart last <laughs> last week, and they got no one like they got on Alabama. Uh, so let's jump over here to Nick Saban, who was asked about his receivers and getting these guys going. And he also had an interesting comment, Shane, for uh, Deontay Brown, who you may recall late last season, Shane, this is a guy that uh, I can't remember exactly what happened here. I think he tested positive for some kind of PEDs or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was suspended, mandatory suspension for six games. So he sat out the last two of of last season, and he just sat out the first four of this season. Uh, But he's – so he's – technically back from that and nick saban based on his comments here brown's got nothing guaranteed to him (laughs) turn your volume down because saban is super excited with deontay brown now eligible to play for you guys what's the plan for him this week and just moving forward well the plan for every player on our team is guys got to beat somebody out if he wants to play i mean nobody's entitled to play i mean so you know, gets in shape. He does what he's supposed to do. He shows that he can play better than somebody else that's playing. That's the plan. Just like it's a plan for every other guy on the team. So, that, and that's really kind of up to him, not not up to me. How much of a spark does Henry Ruggs provide early in games, and do you try to get him involved more early in games? Well, I, I think that we, we like to get all our guys involved early in the games. I think that, you know, some of the plays that these guys make um, I know you all look at it like, okay, we put this play in so we could throw the ball to this guy, but you throw the ball to the guy relative to what the defense does. So, um, like, you know, one of the plays that he scored on early in the game was a double pattern, which was kind of a setup play for him. Uh, but the other play was an RPO. We could have just as easily handed the ball off as throwing it to him relative to what the defense did. So um, I, th- I think, you know, our receiver – core in general ability to catch and run with the ball including Henry Ruggs is you know one of the assets that we have on our team so you know we want all those guys to get featured uh the best we can all right Shane so Deontay (laughs) Brown's got to earn everything that's been given to him I think that's the right approach obviously but uh oh yeah kicking over back to these receiver comments here yeah Henry Ruggs I mean it just seems like every game they open if it's there, I mean, they're getting it to him, and he's going about 75 yards in about six seconds. Uh, I have no idea how Ole Miss is going to slow this guy or any of these receivers down this week. Let me ask you, in a race from one end zone to the other, do you think Ruggs or do you think Schwartz would win? I, I th- would have to go with Schwartz just because, I mean, I don't know if Ruggs does track, but I know Schwartz is in consideration for the next Olympics like, yeah. like he's legitimately going to 
at least attempt <laughs> right. it. And not, yeah. not to say Ruggs can. It's, hell, he seems like he could. But uh, track speed is, is one thing. Football speed is another. So I think it would be damn close, Shane. But I give it a, just a slight edge to Schwartz. Follow-up question. Can either one of those two beat Judy in a cone drill? <laughs> I don't think so, Jerry Judy. I think I got to give it to him on that one. Okay, I was just curious. <laughs> oh, one more thing on Alabama, Shane. I do want to make this note. We didn't make it on Sunday. We had such a loaded show. I didn't have time to get to it. Uh, but it was interesting because Nick Saban was asked about his quarterback recruiting. And, of course, he cannot be specifically asked about recruits until they sign their letter of intent. So he was not asked specifically about this kid. Uh, but if you missed the news, Alabama flipped USC, that Southern Cal, uh, five-star quarterback Bryce Young. He's the nation's number four overall prospect. And this is a kid that comes from a high school. I know we do have some fans in Southern California. We love those fans. But uh, the fans from South do not know of the school modern day. But uh, it's a juggernaut program there in L.A. And it's uh, the likes of Matt Leinert. And uh, remember that blonde-haired USC quarterback, what was his name, Barkley San yeah. and Mark Sanchez? They all come out of this school. I mean, it's like a factory for elite quarterbacks, and they all go to USC. This kid was going to go to USC. Now he's flipped to Bama. Oh, It's probably going to be Tua's replacement here. And Nick Saban asked about the importance of recruiting quarterbacks every year. And obviously, you know, he's talking about Bryce Young, but he can't say Bryce Young. So just wanted to include this clip. I thought Alabama fans would appreciate it. What's the importance of signing a quarterback every year in, in the overall scheme of recruiting? I think the importance is to sign a good quarterback. Uh, that, that's probably most important, not just a quarterback. Um, because I think, you know, those guys, and I think it's more apparent in college football now than it's ever been, uh, the teams that have a legitimate chance to have a really good season, uh, most of them have really pretty good quarterbacks. It doesn't mean that just because you have a good quarterback that you're going to have a good season. you got to have good players to play around them. Uh, but it certainly helps because that guy distributes the ball to every guy on the team. Um, so his ability to be efficient and effective enhances everybody's chances of being successful. But it's also the most difficult position to play if you don't have good players around you. So it's important to surround uh, a quarterback with other good players, and uh, then everybody has a chance to, to be successful. All right, Shane. So I, I really like what Saban had to say here. Yes, you got to have elite quarterbacks in today's college football. I mean, we've seen – I mean, Alabama, hell, they managed to win a couple titles with – some journeyman quarterbacks, but this offense just taken to another level with when they had an actual quarterback that could really challenge defenses. And that's why he goes after these guys. But it's I, I particularly like the fact, because we like to try to hammer home the point that these quarterbacks, they're only as good as the players around them. That's why, yeah. we, that's why we joke around about the damn parent cam and everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but the same thing, that's what Saban's saying here. I mean, this this kid could be the next Tua, but if he doesn't have good receivers, he doesn't got good linemen, yeah. uh, he's not going to be the next Tua, even if he's better as an individual. Right. Now, you think that was a knock at, at USC? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, we've got the talent. So, you know what I'm saying? Maybe he was in a roundabout way still recruiting. I don't know. But yeah, that's it, interesting. I, I was just thinking that was kind of funny. And – uh 
And the fact I, – I think getting a quarterback every year is important, man. Sometimes signing two quarterbacks, you see this a lot because some of them just don't pan out. Some of them transfer out, you know. So you've got to have that – just that constant rotation, I think, because the last thing you want is a situation like – Tua going out and all you got is a true freshman. You know, you want to have some established depth behind Tua that's got some uh, some practice like uh, like Matt Jones, you know. Mm-hmm. So if because if you don't and then you have that gap or you've you kind of got that Georgia situation where, you know, boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, it's it's from and and who, you know, a guy that. As it, a Juco that left your school, you know what I'm saying? Not right. saying that he's not good, but I, I think it's important that you have that just that revolving quarterback in there every year. Maybe he's good, maybe he's not, but sometimes you're going to find that diamond in the rough, too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's flip over to the other side of this matchup, Shane. Let's go to Oxford, where Matt Luke met with the media here on Monday. And, uh, you know, the big news there Matt Corral could not finish the Cal game. And here comes true freshman John Reeves Plumley, and you figure, oh my God, they're, they're rolling in a freshman here. They're <laughs> they're down. What were they down? They were down 15 points, but at that point, with about four and a half minutes in the game, this kid nearly won him the game. I mean, he was a. I think Corral must have been, you know, hurt the whole game because he he was not really playing that well. Yeah. And then out comes the freshman. He's just a huge spark. And now it sounds like Matt Corral's day to day, but uh, Matt Luke. Going up against Alabama, it sounds like they are going to have both quarterbacks ready to play, and they're planning on playing both of them. I think that's an important note to make because if, if Corral's limited at all, you may just want to go with uh, the, the true freshman Plumley. I mean, he was that dynamic, and you never – sometimes you just never know what you got in these kids so you put them out there. He looked the part. That's right. And finally, on uh, he, also this note I think was particularly important – on the play of his defensive backs because they're going to be front and center after getting kind of toasted against Cal. I mean, they have really got to step it up this week if they're going to handle or at least, at least even limit Alabama. Uh, Matt Corral, you know, just after further evaluation, he's going to be day-to-day. He has bruised ribs. He was out there yesterday, didn't do a whole bunch. Um, he'll be out there tomorrow, and I'll, I'll know more at practice tomorrow, but he'll be uh, day-to-day moving forward. Matt, you came in the season with – little experience in that room anyway in the quarterback room and you, you kind of alluded to John Rice but talk about his skill set versus Matt and where he may be in the overall learning curve with the offense and just physically too yeah and that's the that's one of the positives of having an experienced coordinator like Rich is he's had throwing quarterbacks he's had running quarterbacks and the offense is very flexible and how how we can utilize him and there's so there's a lot of things that are built into the offense that we can go to with John Rice where he can showcase his talents and his ability to run the ball. And, you, and you, obviously you saw that in the game on, on, on the quarterback draw and on some of the zone read stuff, he can give some guys problems. How do you go about testing whether Matt's going to be ready? Is it just personal comfort for him or are there actual tests he's going to need to go through to yeah, see? Yeah, I mean, you just go through a normal practice and see you know, how, how he's feeling. And again, he's pretty sore yesterday, feeling a little bit better today. And then you know, by tomorrow and Wednesday, you'll, you'll know a little bit more. Um, on the uh, pass coverage, is it lack of pressure, lack of coverage, combination? Yeah, yeah, it's a combination. What do you do to fix yeah, it? It's, it's a combination of things. There, there was a couple times that um, 
that, that they just made a good play. There's a couple times that we're a little bit out of position and not using the proper technique. A couple times we're playing zone and we need a little bit more pressure. So it's a, it's a combination of everything. Um, but, but when you're watching the tape, it is all fixable. And it's, it's one or two third downs that would have changed the game. And, and, and it's the same thing offensively. There's a couple things, you know, sometimes we missed an open guy. Sometimes a running back didn't make the right read. One time we missed a block. It's just little things here and there that you have to get cleaned up if you want to win big games. Matt, uh, how do you handle your quarterback reps this week? Well, it, it all based on who's, you know, how Matt progresses and he's healthy. If Matt can't go, then you'll, you know, John Rice and Grant will be working in there. And, and if Matt can go, that will obviously affect it. When Matt Luke ain't screaming, he's whispering. So. <laughs> that's right. If he ain't losing his voice, he's whispering. That's right, man. There's... <laughs> I know the, the odds are clearly stacked again. Hell, we just talked about it. I mean, they're a, what, a five-touchdown underdog, five-touchdown-plus underdog in this matchup. Yeah. I'm trying to think – I'm trying to wait to spin this, Shane, that Ole Miss kind of – Fans can get excited about this one. Like I said, they're still undefeated in conference play. It's not like the season's over here. It was funny during Saban's presser, he noted, this is the team we've struggled with the most in SEC play. <laughs> it's like, it's like, that, was, uh, that was when old Hugh was around. You know, it's been a while, but I don't know, Shane. Maybe if this freshman really does spark him, I mean, we, we've seen holes in Alabama's defense this year. We've seen Halinski light him up. Any mm-hmm. chance uh, – I mean, I think that's kind of the Ole Miss – that's their best chance in this matchup. If you're going to upset Alabama, man, you've got to keep it simple. And you've got to have that three – even though it's boring, Mike, and I cannot stand watching it, you've got to have one of those three, four-yard games. You know what I'm saying? Let John – one thing about John, if he's if he's out there, he's, he's lightning fast. So let's take advantage of that. Let's let's let Alabama know that we're going to run and maybe occasionally pass. So we got to keep them honest. But we're going to win this game three, four yards at a time. We're going to drain the clock. We're going to make this a boring game. We're going to try to keep Alabama's defense on the field, which they've been suspect at times. So mm-hmm. if you're going to do it, you've got to slow this game down. And um, I think that's I think that's what's going to happen because. If you can do one of those 10, 12-yard drives and then Alabama comes out and Tua wants to throw it, Tua wants to. But, you know, it t- sometimes it takes a couple of first downs to get your chemistry going. And if you're three and out and you get the ball back and then it's another three, four boring drive, that's how Ole Miss is, has the potential to beat Alabama. Not saying that they're going to, but I think it's got to be a conservative game call. Yeah, I mean, if history is any indication, Shane, it seems like Alabama's defense, who do they struggle against? Mobile quarterbacks. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Shane, the other game here in the SEC West, Texas A&M versus Arkansas in Arlington on the neutral field, of course. Uh, both these teams coming off tough losses. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's got to get his team ready to go. Uh, but, in, you know, the first year last year, a lot of people may not recall this game outside of the fans of these two, but – Arkansas really gave them a game here. They had the ball at the end of the game. It was either a chance to win it or tie it. I can't recall. It was one or the other. But, hell, they were marching down the field. They just kind of – they couldn't get it done. But I know these teams, different teams, different year. But uh, this series almost always seems to go in overtime or close to it. So uh, this is one where 
Texas A&M, if they're on the letdown and and old and uh, Arkansas, you know, fired up, this could be another matchup here yeah, that that could be good. And this mm-hmm. is uh, something that Jimbo Fisher hit on during his first media availability of the week, and he talked about uh, how he's really going to have to rely on his leaners now because they no one envisioned there at College Station they'd be two and two after four games, but that's yeah. that's the reality they're in. And then he was also asked about their struggles in the running game, which uh, I think has been a huge part of them being two and two this season. Coach, when you lose a game, you lose a couple games early. How much are you reliant on the player to player leadership and guys leading each other? And who stood out in that regard? You definitely have to. I mean, because that's the group. You have to learn to bond together. I mean, because, like I say, frustration can set in. Anything can set in. You have that's that's part of sports. That's there's good and there's bad. And uh, you got the group inside was you know on offense. I've, that's always it's Oz, it's Kellen, a couple of those linemen, Green and and uh, Big Dan up front. Usually, usually in that regard, Prater does a good job in that as far as keeping guys together uh, defensively. Um, one. Buddy, Buddy Johnson's really evolving into a very, very good leader. He is, he is playing very well, doing some really good things, and you know, becoming that guy and understanding. Carper does a great job in that regard. Some of those other guys. So I mean, you know, there's a good group. Man, Braden, believe I mean, is, is, is your punter now. Those guys have tremendous respect for him, and he speaks, and they really listen to him. He, they have a lot of respect for what he does and how he does it because they know how hard he works. So there's, there's a good core group of those guys who understand that and understand how we're, we have to just go work and play ball. So how do you get more out of your running game? Were you making the same mistakes against against Clemson and Auburn, or are they different mistakes? <clears throat> no, they were very. They're not. They're not tactical mistakes. They're not missed assignments. We had a couple at Clemson on missed declarations that we worked to the wrong people, but these weren't. We just a couple times we physically got beat. They had a couple good, really good guys up front that really stuffed and played to run. Other times it was whether a t- whether it was a tight end mashing, staying on it connected. Sometimes it was a back missing a cut. Sometimes and it's just reps and. You know, getting these young backs going back again because they hadn't had a lot of playing time when Jay Sean had taken a lot of reps and getting them in there, incorporating what we do, and getting our linemen to consistently try to get more push, get more holes in what we're doing. And we played a very good front, too. At the end of the day, that front there, like I said before, is one of the best fronts we'll play, if not the most physical front we'll play of any time we do. So we just got to keep doing what we do, do it better, and get more refined at what we do. And, you know, if we, if we have to tweak and turn a formation or a scheme or something like that by each individual uh, team we play, we'll do that. On the run game, how realistic is it to maybe look at the quarterback run? It's maybe augmenting what you have right now. Oh, it is. It, it's a part of it. I mean, it'll always be a part of what we do, and Kellen's very capable of doing that and, and handling that. And that's part of things that we will evaluate and look at, no doubt. All right, Shane. So, I mean, this is where we're going to find out what this Jimbo Fisher air is all about, I think, because there's still, you know, there's there are ways from where they want to be. But Jimbo Fisher was pretty optimistic during this presser, and I'm even starting to see, you know, I'm not trying to bash this guy because I like him and I've, I've had some interactions with him. He seems, I don't think he says stuff just to get wild interactions, but uh, I don't know if you saw this, Shane, but Peter Burns of uh, SEC Network, he's, he recommended that a lot of these a&M guys just sit out the season like these Houston kids are, are planning and just redshirt yeah. and come back next year and ha- and just be having a, like an awesome team. But that's wild to me because I mean in A&M in College Station right now they expect wins. Yeah, they're not. They're they've already paid for their tickets. They're showing up on Saturday. You think those people are going to be cool with them with half the team or whatever? Just saying, fuck it. We we already only one game down in the West. Uh, I'm not on board with that, and I don't think. That A&M is that far off. It's not like, 
you know, it's not like they got destroyed by Auburn. I just think they got beat by a better team and they didn't execute as well. And if they, you know, if Kellen Mond hits a pass here or if they, you know, if they hit a run here, I mean, they, they could have won that game. So, yeah, I don't think this is a team that should be looking to 2020. I think there's a lot to accomplish here in 2019. But like Fisher says, it's got to start with these players believing that because if they don't believe it, it's not going to happen. Uh, how important is it for uh, for these kids to get their mind right and, and get back in the SEC play with a big win? First off, we've got to get ahead of this Houston thing. I mean, this is a this is a trend I could see rapidly going. You know what I'm saying? We kind of saw a little bit of it when Clowney decided just to wait for the draft. You know, we 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 kind of got a little nervous then. But you know, seeing these kids in Houston doing this, and and now there's talks of kids in Texas A&M doing this. Uh, a scholarship is earned, man. And I think if you're manipulating the system so you can come back, I I I, I don't know. I I'm, I'm not a fan of that, and I could see some sort of. Uh, conversation with the coaches in the off season this coming up year. So, right. uh, but as far as well, and just real quick, I do want to yeah. make that note that it's it's not anyone in A and M thinking about this. Apparently, it's just it's just his he suggested it. Yeah, like, I don't think he's reporting that they're that Kellen. He said Kellen Mond should do this. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no. no, no, I don't. So no one at A and M, as long as I'm aware of, has, okay. has even considered this. He just he just threw that that suggestion out there okay i was about to break some news mike you know <laughs> uh but the fact of the matter is both these teams are coming off a tough loss and everything you said about texas a&m is correct but you could also say the same thing about arkansas uh it's how do these kids react you know i'm i'm worried more about the arkansas situation mm-hmm. because if they just quit if they're just not in it then they're like I said, they're not going to win any more games this season, and I don't think that's the case. I think you know these kids play football; they're competitors. They're wanting to win, and I think Morris is laying it on thick with the emotions. You know, saying, "Hey, I'm coaching for my job, my family, and I need you guys to buy in." And you know, you know that's a sneaky, dangerous team. Sometimes, if you've got a team that's that's excited and and working together and they they got a common goal and and they're you know they're not going to leave anything on the field and then you got A&M on the other side coming in saying well we're two and two you know we're not going to be able to make the playoffs this year we're not going to compete for the SEC championship you know how how much letdown are they going to have and if that's that's what's scary for A&M fans because I, I've seen it on both sides. So it's just it really depends on who's the better coach this week. Who who rallies this team, gets them ready to play, because if either one of these teams come out, I don't care which side, if they come out not competing, not competing, uh, the other team's gonna win, period. Well speaking of the coach, Shane, let's jump over to Chad Morris. Woo pig. It's a lot of the same oh. stuff here, Shane. He's talking about how unacceptable and how embarrassing this performance was and I don't know if you saw it, but I'm sure Razorback fans saw that uh, the AD, I mean, he was on a speaking tour this week, and, I mean, he's getting just questioned, just peppered with, hey, is Chad Moore safe? I mean, my God, it's less than two years after this guy hired him. This is not what he envisioned. Uh, So here's Chad Morris on, again, he's kind of talking about the San Jose State game uh, on on holding everyone accountable in the building and on preparing Nick Stark 
Starkle to respond after his five interception performance going up against his former team. This is embarrassing. As I said uh, after the game Saturday night and after watching film, um, our, our performance was completely unacceptable. Um, we got outcoached in every phase. We got outplayed in every phase. We got out-executed. And it was completely unacceptable and embarrassing. And everyone is being held accountable, and it starts with me. And the only thing we can do is go back to work. And our total focus is on getting this football team uh, prepared uh, and ready today to be able to compete uh, at our standard uh, for this Saturday against Texas A&M. Chad, you, know, you said it, just said it now and said after the game you're going to hold everybody accountable. Does that mean you might reassign some responsibilities within the staff? Does that mean you play more young guys to push the old guys? Does that mean you're more hands-on with certain aspects of the game planning or position groups? What, what, what is specifically, what does that mean, holding everybody more accountable? Well, I, I think it's, it's the performance at all levels from, from everyone. That, that's, that's what we're talking about. And being able as a coach to get your guys to play at a very high level. Um, that's what I mean, holding coaches accountable. And holding players accountable is to get in there and, and, and to execute the plan and, and, and continue to play and play fast and play hard and take care of their preparation. You know, we get them 20 hours a week. Um, three of those count as games. And so, you know, the accountability for everybody to, to make sure that we're not overlooking anything or any aspect of our program or any opponent. And, um, and so that's it's, – it's on everybody. It's on myself included. Um, this is this is this is a head coach, all the way down to the to the equipment. So, coach, would you say it's like attention to detail that needs to get better, or what is it exactly that you change? No, sure I, I, I think our attention to detail each and every week is, is we focus on that. That's the little things in our program that we talk about consistently, and constantly, and um, because it's those little things. That if let slide lead to big things, and 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 um, so that is, uh, uh, you know, that, as I mentioned a minute ago, there was nothing in practice that I saw last week that would have led me to believe that our guys were going and, and our coaches uh, that we were going to come out and and not perform at the level that we all felt that what we saw the snapshot in the fourth quarter to look like. There was nothing that led to that. You also mentioned about Nick and about quarterback and has to play within the system. Just kind of what didn't he do that you wanted him to do as far as within the system? Yeah, you know, I, I think we, me as a coach, have got to do a better job of preparing him uh, for exactly what we're asking him to do. And, um, you know, especially two games into this thing with him. Uh, and so that's on me. That's completely on me. It's not on him. Um, and just to be able to, to uh, you know, to, to, to give the, the answers that, that we want in the opportunity, in, in the time frame that he needs to, to take them in. And um, whether that's getting the ball out on the edge in a run, um, you know, a fade ball on a run situation, letting him know when we expect that, when we don't expect that. And that's not on Nick. That's completely on me. All right, Shade, so this game obviously overshadowed by this San Jose State loss. I mean, I thought the talk all week was going to be Arkansas, you know, 3-1, and one, 
looking to be improved. Nick Starkle, this is going to be the revenge game. And mm-hmm. now we're talking about this garbage, San Jose State. I mean, you kind of hit on it there already with, uh, you know, how this team responds. But I think it's, uh, you know, it's never as simple as just a quarterback, but it kind of is in this game. I mean, if he just doesn't toss the game away and he has a great game uh, up against his former team that kind of passed him over, I think uh, I don't, I don't want to say Arkansas is going to win this game, but I really think they can compete in it if that happens. Dude, I, but I, the the thing that gets me on this clip right here is it's the woe is me attitude. It's the I'm sad, I'm about to cry. You know what I'm saying? We we get it. You're coaching for your job, but come out with some balls, man. You know, own it, move on, because your players are going to mirror you. And if you're coming out moping around. Well, guess what's going to happen Monday when we're practicing? There's going to be a lot of moping around. There's going to be a lot of finger pointing, and there's going to be a lot of blaming going on there in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You're creating a mess, man. Take ownership. You're a head coach now for for a Division One SEC football team. Own it. And you go out there. You say, okay, hey, we screwed up, man. Well, okay, we, we didn't. We weren't prepared. That one's on me. No one else. You know, we could. Bl- you want to blame the defense? You want to blame the offense? You want to blame a quarterback wearing a Justin Bieber shirt? I don't care what you want to blame. This one's on me. I did not take control of this team. This week, I'm going to take control of this team. We're going to come out and we're going to beat Texas A&M. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get these kids pumped up because if you're the battle captain and they're all looking up to you and you think that you can win or at least you're acting like you can win, then they're going to think they can win. And then they're going to go into this game. But if you come out in a press conference with all this media attention and everybody's talking about the AD walking around, talking on a walking tour, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just moping around this. I mean, grow a pair, Morris. Fired up Shane. I love it. Oh, Final yeah. thing on this game, Shane, I do want to make this uh, quick note here because obviously the game's in Arlington and there's mixed emotions. Some some of these fans love it. Some of them hate it. Uh, both these coaches were asked about it. So I just want to include both these clips. I want to include them back to back. Jimbo gets a little bit more into it than Chad Morris, but I just figured we'd include both of them. I know every year there's lots of uh, debate and talk about the merits of going up and playing in Arlington, having done it now. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, – what's your take on the game, playing it there or, or as opposed to playing it home and home? I mean, I love playing here, but I think it's a great thing. I, I'm not against it. I, I really am not. I mean, I think that's a great venue to play in. You're in a tremendous venue. You're in an area where a lot of our players come from. It's great for their families to have an access to be able to come there. In recruiting, it's easier for recruits to get to a game. They can come up there and see us. And, and again, I also say it, sometimes learning to play in neutral site venues is good for your program because of different scenarios that will occur hopefully in your future. Chad, the AD, the AD at A&M is on record as saying when this contract runs out in 24, they'd rather the series go back campus games. you have any thoughts on that and playing down there and you know, what it means to you and how you'd feel about it if, if it did go back to campuses? Well, first of all, we've got a great fan base in the Dallas area. It's a, it's a huge part of our recruiting footprint. Um, but that's, that is, um, for a, a whole nother discussion at a whole nother day is my only focus right now is getting this football team ready to go down to Dallas this week and play this Saturday and all that other stuff can, can be for, for, for down the road discussion. All right, Shane, I know you're not a huge fan of these neutral site non-conference oh. games, but what are your thoughts on it being a, you know, SEC game here that they're they always have in Arlington. 
I still think it's stupid. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 let's say I went to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I want to watch a game, a home game at Texas A&M. If I went to Arkansas and it's my turn, I'm there for four years. I want to watch two games in Arkansas, you know, right. it's just, it's, I mean, that's what this is. This is college football. This isn't, this isn't the pros, all right? As much as everybody likes to show off Jerry's world down there, we want to see some home games because that's where it matters. And then you go to the home games and you were, wonder where all the fan support is. Well, maybe you shouldn't do these neutral site games, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe you should you, you should be pumping up your own stadium. But one thing that did stand out in this to me, uh, because we were talking a little bit about, I don't know, I think it was last year we were talking about the – uh, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Mm-hmm. And they were upset about the neutral site game there because they couldn't host recruits. But right. he was he was saying that they're going. he likes it because it's easy for the recruits to get to. Mm-hmm. So is it that you can't go to the field, you can't pay for them, but they can be in the stands watching the game? Or Yeah, that's what it is. They, they're allowed to come, but A&M or Arkansas, they're not allowed to like pay for their tickets. They're not allowed to have them on the sidelines. And they're not allowed to interact, even interact with them. But, you know, they're allowed, obviously, to go to the game, pay their own way and everything. But I think Texas, obviously, such a huge state of kind of – there's A&M and Arkansas fans all over that state. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're they're living close to Arlington, this is a a great chance every year for them to watch this game. So uh, it's a little bit different dynamic. I see your points, but I also see the benefits of having this game. And I really think that it benefits Arkansas. I know a lot of Razorback fans don't think so, but having that extra game in the state of Texas when that, uh, particularly under Chad Morris, it has to be a huge part of their recruiting. Um, I think it kind of benefits them in that way as well. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> At least they could take a picture out there. Did you see that little photo booth they got there in Dallas? <laughs> no. You stand, yeah, they got this little thing. You stand out, you you uh, put your money in there, whatever, and then you do your pose. And as you're standing there, like these digital players come out, and it looks like the real players are right beside you. Mm-hmm. Take the picture. So when you get your picture, it honestly looks like the guys were right there. It's it's crazy. I ain't never seen anything like it. If you ain't seen it, I'll I'll, put, I'll throw it on the Reddit page tomorrow. All right, Shay, so this has been a little bit of a long one. I do one final note quickly here. Uh, we're not going to jump much to the Gators, but I do want to make this note that uh, Pat Dooley of the Gainesville Sun, he was the first one to report this, but the Gators, Shane, they're set to announce a home-and-home home series with Utah, and yeah. I believe this is going to be 2022-2023. Back, I think it starts in Florida, then it flips to Utah the next season, just a couple years away. Uh, But I really like that home-and-home series. I think that'll be a great one. All right, Shane, that's going to do it for us on this edition. Uh, And, of course, you made it this far. If you wouldn't mind going just a step further, giving us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever the hell it's called now, uh, rate and review. That really helps the pod, Shane. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks again for joining me, as always. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you, guys. Go Vols.
man, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, uh, I was going to tell, apologize about missing yesterday. My triathlon went a little longer than expected. <laughs> <laughs> uh.